When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the rock and roll hall of fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Kristen Studdard. If you can believe it. Yeah, we are back, in a sense. To it's not, happening. Not exactly business as usual, but we have not recorded with a guest in quite a while. And now we're, we're doing it via Zoom. Uh, I might as well just bring him in. He uh, is a previous guest. We're so happy to have him back. He is a music journalist, has written a book about NWA, currently writing a book about Whitney Houston, and was on the show advocating for Janet Jackson. It's Garrett Kennedy. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we're, we're so excited to, uh, to talk to you. We have not talked to you since Janet was inducted. I know. Lifetime ago, right? Right. Or so it, or so it feels. Because yeah. It was probably two years ago. And when we talked to you, it was she had been nominated for the third time, but it was still, you know, a question of whether it it felt really dicey. (laughs) It felt like, you know, how many times she had been, she'd been snubbed, but then she finally got in. She went all the way. She went all the way. (laughs) Justice for Janet was redeemed. It really, truly was. Did you see her induction? I did. I did watch the ceremony. I usually don't watch them. I think we've had this <laughs> conversation. Okay, same. Um, <laughs> but I did. I did watch it. I was, you know, really interested to see what she was going to say, given all that she had gone through, given all that is attached to the family name. I think that's pretty obvious what I'm talking about. And then also just to see, I was disappointed that there was no performance. I thought there was a missed opportunity there, especially because from a performing um, perspective, she has gotten that credit in the last five or six years, I think from the public in a way that it would have been really nice to see her on that stage. But I, you know, those politics, I certainly was not surprised to see that there was the not a performance because, you know, having written the book on NWA and having talked to Cube and just knowing, you know, a lot of the issues that go into trying to um, appease everybody for that performance, it just was probably not going to happen for Team Janet. So I, I understood. Well, and they were gearing up for her Vegas residency, you know, and so probably the production, the, the, our, our guess was that the production values that were required for a true Janet Jackson extravaganza were probably a little more than the Absolutely. wee little rock hall could and give I was And I was at that opening night in Vegas and it was everything I needed oh, to be stop. and then some. I thought her speech was really uh, great at the induction. It, I like that she called out Terry and Jimmy Jam and who were like, in the audience and who were in the audience. And did they, did that make the broadcast? I can't remember. I think, but she, yeah, I think it did. She had them like stand up. She really paid respect to everyone who had helped her get where she was, but then also really stood up and was like, we need to induct more women. <laughs> They definitely did not listen, but it was a very lovely speech. It was interesting too, like kind of how she handled the family stuff. There were some things in there Mm. that I was, I was like, well, we were on the edge of our seats. Yeah, like is is she gonna mention Michael? Is she gonna mention her father? And she did. She did mention Joe Jackson. It it did get a little uncomfortable. It's hard because I also as much as I love Janet for a long time and as much as my love for Michael was changed by leaving Neverland and all of these things happening around the same time and, and, and covering it and 
you know, one of the things that came up was sort of the relationship with the fact that it's Rock Hall and that this does air on HBO and that mm-hmm. HBO did play this documentary and that HBO was in, in the midst of this strange lawsuit that doesn't actually make any sense. And so I, this idea that if it aired someplace else, she might have shown up differently. She might have said something differently. She might have been different. And I just don't think that to be true. I think that, I don't think there was anything about, you know, this airing on HBO, which is how, this is the way that she changed her speech or made a decision to not a performer or all those things I just don't think are necessarily true. But it was something that was in the back of my mind because I thought about how so much of the conversation had been around this idea that we're not allowed to talk about this, which I think is incorrect. And I think that, you know, Michael is a great example of what do we do when we have to come to a reckoning with how we feel about someone, how we feel about what they were able to accomplish, but also the things that they were alleged to have done. And so there's, there's, there was so many ways to think about it. And there's lots of ways, you know, some of which I won't even say here where I've had a hard time. I've had a hard time loving Janet and then also kind of also loving the fact that my brain somehow is wired to just start asking these questions in my mind. And I'm just like, so, you know, as a sibling, I just, I wonder, like you, there was never a conversation. There was never a, this feels weird. There was never, there was never anything. I think some of it, I don't know. I just, I don't know what to do with it. And I'm, you know, and I'm, this is me as a fan who loves these, but I'm just like, what do you do as the sibling? And now you are expected to say something. You're expected to acknowledge your brother. You're expected to acknowledge the history that you most certainly stand upon and are a part of, but how do you, how do you do all that while ignoring the other side of it that at that time was very, very, very loud. Yeah, you know, I hadn't even, and maybe this is just me being myopic, but like I hadn't even thought about the HBO connection between the documentary and the Rock Hall and as it being the outlet for that programming. And it, it hadn't even occurred to me. Part of what I've always been so fascinated by that family is is the dynamic and it and it is i mean i we because we also have to remember there was such a point for a long time where michael didn't speak to any of them any of them he lived in his own world it was what it was you know we kind of saw it but we didn't really we never really reckoned with what that might have been like or felt like and i don't think we're ever really going to truly know i don't i don't see there being a day where you know, Janet is talking about the years where it's like... Oh, yeah. I don't see her suddenly not, becoming a not private person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I, wonder how much of, I wonder how much of that privacy is because of what that was and because of what, you know, that life had to have been. I mean, it has to be, it has to be a challenge. It has to be even... Yeah, you're going to... I'm going to always want to believe my sibling, my parent, my partner, my friend, whoever, that they did not do something that they're accused of, particularly if the thing they're accused of is like, is as heinous as it is, it's a hard place to sit. And I think where, I think what we're seeing with Janet is someone who is sitting in that space the best you can, which is like, it's still my sibling, but like, am I gonna be doing a bunch of interviews being like, he didn't do it? No. You know, because what good does that do me and what good does that do the conversation? And like, you know, maybe it's something where we don't know how she truly feels about some of this stuff. And I don't think we, I mean, it definitely is not our business, but I don't think we're ever going to know. And we have to make a decision of how we feel about that. I will say too, in her speech, and Joe kind of alluded to this too, she really went in on how great Joe Jackson Mm -hmm. was. That was a surprise to me, just me because I only know the kind of salacious stereotype of their the TV movie version. Yeah, yeah, I know. I guess it's like without Joe Jackson, you don't have all of you don't have any stuff, of it. You know, you don't have so, any of it. And you know, Joe was Joe was difficult because, like, surprise, like most black kids growing up in the hood, like spankings were part of your life. I there's definitely a line between that where. It, easily veers into abuse and he crossed that line very much with those with those kids 
I've thought a lot about, you know, what it must have been to have this dream of wanting to get out of the ghetto. And I mean, this is something I read about in the book I'm writing now on Whitney, which is, you know, what we're here to talk about. Of which course. we will talk about. Uh, we will get to it. But we will get to it. We will get to it. I promise. <laughs> And it all makes sense because it's all connected because at one point I do write about Sissy and Joe together. And I think it's important because it's the same school of thought, which is I see this greatness in my child, children for the case of Joe, and I want to get them there by any means necessary. And I don't agree with the fact that, you know, we're thinking about particularly Michael, because obviously he's the, he's the youngest at the time in the group. Yes, it's inappropriate to have them in the clubs performing. They're seeing vaudeville acts. They're seeing burlesque shows. They're seeing all the stuff they shouldn't be seeing, obviously, as, as, as young kids. But just this idea of you have to be a hundred times greater than everyone else, even though your natural ability is already a hundred times greater. Just that idea that he was instilling in them yeah, you can't take that away. You can't take away the hardness of your voice is great. You can dance. You want to do this. I see you have an interest. Some of it, yes, is me like wanting to live vicariously through you. So I'm pushing you harder. But there's the other side of it of like trying to make a dream happen under circumstances where it's like not even at all close to a reality. Just the idea of getting out of Gary and then making it to Motown is like, crazy it's crazy yeah. it's crazy if any of you if, if you've ever gone to Gary you know I remember begged my parents to like take me to the Jackson house and I needed to see this house and I needed to see this neighborhood and you know my mom you know one of her childhood friends moved to Gary and so she's like sure so we did it my parents like made this detour took me there and it was hard I mean because I'm like I live I lived in the ghetto but I was like, I guess I don't because you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you were like, I, I thought I, I did. I thought I did, but I, I, I legitimately did not. Like I didn't lit, we were going, you know, we were, we were in an apartment and it was like, oh, you have sheets as curtains. Like it was a level of poverty that I was not accustomed to. I was accustomed to like, yeah, people were broke and yeah, people were trying to make ends meet, but it wasn't this. And this was so incredibly painful to see. And I remember having my own reaction that I was internalizing, but I was watching my mom and I was watching my mom who, you know, obviously she is an adult. And so she's seeing her friend live in circumstances that still didn't, it was still so far away from what they were used to, what obviously I was used to. And that was really hard. And that was, you know, five blocks from the Jackson family house. And so I think about, I think about that. And that was it's probably in the 90s, you know, when we did that mm -hmm. trip. And so I think about what that was like in the 60s and the 50s. And it's just, yeah, some of it I get. I don't agree with it, but some of it I definitely get. And I saw the same thing, you know, with Sissy, where it's that idea of like, it's teaching your child, A, you are going to have to work so much harder already because of where you're from, because of what you look like, because of the color of your skin. It's all, you're already going to have to do three, four, five times as much work. So... I might as well just make you do it now. Like I get the logic mm -hmm. of it. I got like, I definitely got like, okay, so you got them like doing rehearsals like six hours a day, every single day, and then doing school and then, come, you know, they have to come home from school, finish the rest of their rehearsal. Some of it I definitely understood. I don't agree with all of it, but I think that idea of that work ethic, so much of what the greatness of, of Janet and Michael. And this is just also really giving me very, yeah. very much Beyonce vibes. Very well. much Beyonce. Very like much Beyonce. Incredibly similar. Very much. To her I mean, we story. hear about, we hear about, you know, Matthew having Destiny's Child run laps in heels. Like, mm -hmm. yes, it sounds abusive and like, <laughs> okay, maybe it's not the greatest thing you could do to a child. But I think when you are, training for greatness. I don't think that, I think if you looked at what Joe or Sissy were doing with their children, and then you look at what, think of like Venus and Serena's dad. Like if you think, mm -hmm. if you think about that level of conditioning, I don't see much of a difference. Of course, you know, obviously Joe, you're also having like a couple of ass whoopings in there on top of mm -hmm. Miss a dance step, or if you miss a lyric, okay, you're about to get this belt, and that's not cool. But I just think of that element of training them like Olympic athletes. It, it really did make 
sense and it makes all the difference. And you think about, you know, we think of our greats, they all kind of had that similar starts and some of it has been a parent that pushed them, whether or not it might've been because the parent once upon a time wanted to like be in the industry and failed and now they see, you know, a chance through their child. Sure, that's probably true. I'm, it most certainly is true in the case of Joe and Sissy. But I think that element of, you know, the work ethic, it, it, it showed off and you can still see that like, that's what sticks. That's what sticks with Janet. That's what sticks with her when she talks about him. I think that is, yeah, that's a great point to even contextualize it. And mm-hmm. so Whitney is getting in. Yes. Which, no duh, come on. How did you feel? You know, it's so interesting because so much of what I, in this, in writing this book and the insane amount of research that I've done for it, but so much of what I am trying to, I don't want to say course correct because I don't think, I don't think a book can do this. I don't think, I don't think one thing can do this, but this idea that has stood with her is that Whitney was this empty vessel. She had zero control over the music that she made. Um, She didn't write any of it. She didn't produce it in a traditional sense. Um, And so therefore she's not an artist. Therefore she's not a musician. And I have always been challenged by that belief because we, we see it with Beyonce too, but somehow the conversation is alluded from someone like Adele, but I, I don't know. I don't know what's uh, different. What could, what could I don't know what could possibly be different between <laughs> Adele and Beyonce or Whitney. But it, just that idea that because you're not writing, because you're not making the composition around the music that you're singing, then therefore you're not an artist. And so, so much of what I've been trying to like fight against as I've been writing this is like m- making my way through the criticism of that criticism. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that idea that because those things were not true, then it takes away from her artistry and that's that to me I've always disagreed with and why I've disagreed with it is because of the fact that every single song we heard of Whitney yes and her whole catalog she's probably wrote like a handful it's not that many that she she has actually written herself but the way that she sings every single song is the star spangled Star banner, banner you know is you think of the a Whitney Houston song like it's that's a, a, a Whitney Houston song, song. It's a Whitney like, song. She got it on the charts. Twice. Who, 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 yeah, right, after 9-11 and then twice, went originally. Twice. Okay, so we say someone is not an excellent pianist if they play Beethoven the best. Do you know what I mean? Using your voice as an instrument, mm-hmm. like why do we not give that equal Yeah, bidding, and also know? if you put it into the context of, say, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you look at someone like Elvis Presley. For example. Write his songs. Yeah. And it, you, it suddenly it's like, and, and, and was stealing them if we really need to be honest about yeah, it. Yeah, right. It, major appropriation, <laughs> <laughs> famously. You start to question then, okay, well, what's going on here when we apply that, this criticism that we don't to our alleged gods and kings mm-hmm. of whether it's the institution of Rock Hall or its music in general? Was that in a dream? I'm sorry. I... <laughs> where, where are we going with this? I, I, oh my God. I think it really might have been in a dream or it's in a show. Okay. You say, say your truth. Where everybody is lip syncing. I think it was on Pose uh, where, where someone lip syncs Whitney Houston doing the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, yes, that's Pose. It is in Pose. Okay, I was like, mm-hmm. it's either in a TV show or a dream, but I can't believe this would be in a TV show, so it felt like a dream. But Pose mm-hmm. is kind of a dream of a TV show in some ways. Right. That's, I had been on my mind recently because I just finished the second season. Someone lip syncs Whitney Houston doing the Star Spangled Banner, and it's, like, really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garrick, let's talk about Whitney Houston, and let's talk about – first, I want to start with your connection – to Whitney. I know she's such an ever-present figure. Do you remember the first time you heard Whitney? So 
That's a, that's a, that's a hard question because it blurs together for me watching the videos on MTV. But I do remember very clearly when I truly fell in love with Whitney, and that was watching The Bodyguard. I loved the music pretty much like everybody else, like every other kid who liked pop music. But so much of what I enjoyed in my childhood was TV, films, music, pretty, pretty solid nerd stuff. And The Bodyguard was the first time that I had seen music and film come together in a way that spoke to me. And so I begged my stepmom to take me to see it. I begged, begged, begged. And so, you know, she took me. I'm seeing this movie and it's the scene when she is, when Rachel, the character is singing Run To You and she is legitimately running in, in heaven. And there was something about it that felt so magical to, to my young mind that I was then a bigger fan walking out of that than when I started. Because, you know, at the time it was like, we've seen a couple music videos, but at that point when she came out, I was already a couple years old. So it was like, I didn't enter a world and then discover Whitney Houston. She was already there for me. Mm -hmm. So listening to it on MTV or whatever was always fun. And like the videos were great, but it was, it was, it was the bodyguard. And it was the, the fact that that film felt so special to me that soundtrack felt so special to me and it was yeah that and i'm your baby tonight were like my two oh i'm your bands. baby tonight what was the decision to take on whitney as the next subject of your book you know the decision to actually do it it's tough because like before i decided to actually write the proposal i spent five years being like mm, i kind of want to do something i don't really know it started with me working through my own grief of you know the first the first time i the first time i met whitney was two days before she passed so Whoa. i had this heaviness over me it's it's really i mean it's really hard it's hard it's hard it's hard to it's hard to talk about it's also hard to like get into when it's like, oh, I haven't written that part of the book yet. Um, but yeah, sure. some of it started, all of it started with that idea of getting back to like my love of her because it was, her passing was very different from when we lost Michael, when we lost Prince, when we lost Amy. I was able to just be a fan and grieve, but I this thing hit me first of like a human being that I spent time with two days before. It didn't matter that they were superstar. It was a human being that I spent time with two days before, barely two days before, and now gone. That was really traumatic. It was really traumatic for me. I was a young reporter, you know, when it happened. So all of that, you know, and it was something where it was like, once she passed, once an hour, you know, that I had mentioned that I had was around her in this other piece because the piece was on Brandy and Monica. And so, and I was at the Beverly Hilton. And so, you know, once it, once that was then mentioned, it's like, you now have to write the piece of like, whatever, whatever, what happened that day? What was going on? What was she like? You know, all of those things that were obviously really clear because of course you meet Whitney Houston. I spent the whole weekend telling everybody in my family, like I just met Whitney Houston and like also yeah. other things were going on and they were not great. And so, you know, that's the story that like, you know, I told my mom the story. I told my mm -hmm. editor the story. Um, but then, of course, I'm not going to tweet. Oh, I she it was this or, or you know. And yeah. Even the piece that even the piece that I wrote um, about the rehearsal that she came in on and like I think I think the language that we chose to go with was like she was very lively because again it was something of wanting to respect the fact that I was not writing a story about her, wanting to respect the fact that I was privy to someone in a state that they were not also then privy to the fact that I was a reporter. And so it just didn't feel, it didn't feel good. So I was like, I, at the time, I was like, you yeah, know, we're not, we don't need to mention any of that. Um, the day that she passed though, it's obviously, as we're trying to piece the story together, it wasn't right. And this is the conversation I had matter at the time where it's like, you now have a responsibility to write what you saw because this is a thing that happened. And this is a thing that happened at the Beverly Hilton and you were there and you were there two days before. 
So wrote that piece, then have to like do a million interviews. So like I'm sure in some weird pockets of YouTube, you can see me on Today's Show or Dateline or 2020 or see, like I legitimately like spent the next two weeks just doing press, which was very weird. Oh wow! Um, is a very it was a very weird experience. So for a long time, I didn't listen to her music. I didn't watch her movies. I didn't do any of it. It was a complete opposite of when Amy passed or when Prince passed, where it's like, I just was listening to it all just to get through to make sense of it. But this was like, I completely divorced myself of Whitney for quite a long time. And then her daughter passed away. And I remember thinking how fucking tragic this is, how tragic this entire scope of the story is and then I started to think about our own implications of it I started to think about our own involvement all of our jokes over the years a crack is whack all the all the things that we did and that we said and you know even even when it got really ugly where it was like I remember a time where like you would go and see the National Enquirer and it would be like she's only got 10 days to live like it, it, it got to a place where it was so incredibly over the top it's a level of behavior that we would not at all do i think i think britney's the last person that we really did this to where it was like we actually are waiting for you to die and we want you to remind you that we're waiting for you to die so we're going to write every element of every single time that we write about you about like well we think that this might be it oh yeah we think this might be the one oh yeah you sneezed mm, maybe you'll eat you know just this element of nastiness that was attached to yeah. the whitney I started to think about that a lot. And then there was there was a Lifetime movie. Angela Bassett did it. I thought it was, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was okay. But I started to just think a little bit more about, okay, the legacy is starting to feel not what I like it to be, what I would like it to be as a fan, what I would like it to be as someone who respects this woman, but also who thinks about all that comes from Whitney. Just what she did with the Star Spangled Banner and I Will Always Love You and how that introduced a way of singing a song and how I can't name any pop artist that sings that is not directly connected to Whitney's voice, that does not try to mimic her approach. Talk about melisma and we talk about these things that she popularized. I mean, I started to really, really think all these different thoughts that I had about Whitney and the way that I would just talk about her in passing with friends or when I would really nerd out and be like, oh my God, can you believe 1998 and my love is your love. And like, that was also the year that we got Never Say Never. And that was also the year that we got Deborah Cox and that we got Tamia and that we got Kelly Price. And we got all these women who are so very much like part of the core of who Whitney was, but that she also lifted up and held because one of the things that she never gets credit for is just her role of R&B's auntie is, is, a good, is a good way to think about her mm-hmm, and just how mm-hmm. she kind of uplifted so many women who, yes, they came after her, but also very much showed, we want to carry your tradition. We love you. It was never this weird competition thing. They really only did it with Mariah, but people forget that they had, they had a friendship for decades, you know? So mm-hmm. I started thinking of all these other ways in which we don't talk about Whitney, which we don't celebrate Whitney. And I was like, is there a book there? And so it did start kind of with this idea of like, oh, we'll do a bio. And I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel like the world needed another biography on Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. I thought that there had been so many. My opinion on those don't matter. I've read them all. (laughs) (laughs) My opinion on those don't matter. Because again, I think when you are talking about writing a bio on somebody, it's it's a lot of heavy lifting in a particular way that I just didn't think was necessary anymore because there were two great documentaries that came out on Whitney, one of which was sanctioned by the estate, but the other started with something that she wanted to do and started with, you know, her giving clearance to the filmmaker. Let's film this whole tour. It was, you know, the biggest tour of her career, Um, but it was also kind of the last, it was the last hurrah for her in so many ways. But when the director was like, so people are concerned and they have questions about some of the missed shows, this might actually be the reason, or people are saying this. And, you know, it came up with like, I do want to talk about other stuff, namely mm-hmm. drugs. And she's like, what well, drug problem? There's no drug problem. And so the, you know, the filmmaker was like, I don't, 
I don't feel right to continue to do a film and then we not talk about this other part of your life um, mm -hmm. that is so very clearly being represented in other ways. It's um, there even if we're not talking about it's it. It's there even if we're not yeah. talking about it. And so I looked at those two films and I, lo I love them both. And I looked at those two and I said, well, what if I just wrote something that was the way that I think about Whitney? I think somebody might be interested in it because I don't think that everybody connects the dots the way that I do because I obsess about Whitney. I obsess mm -hmm. about her voice. I obsess about all of the people who love her and who have tried to mimic her in some way or fashion. So that's where it started. Why don't we take a quick break and then when we come back, we will really get into Whitney and the induction. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope during your break, you- Oh, that you, that you found, that you remembered something that brought you joy during this pandemic. Yes, it, it, we hope that for you. And if you yes. didn't, try harder next time. So Garrick, we were talking about your book and how it's not a traditional biography of Whitney Houston. I'm curious, uh, are you much of a character in the book? So outside of, outside of the first chapter, which, you know, was really kind of me setting up what I want this book to be, which really is a roadmap. It's a roadmap to memory and to loss and to triumph. It's a celebration of her. It's a celebration of pop music. It's a celebration of R&B, very specifically 90s R&B. So myself as a character doesn't exist in the way of, you know, I'm connecting to everything. So it's not me in every chapter, but the first, the first chapter, yes, I, am, I, do, I do tell the story of, you know, falling in love, you know, with her and the bodyguard. I tell this, I, I connected back to, you know, the same year that she passed. I, you know, I took this trip, this eat, pray, love trip, basically. I took this trip to Europe and I got lost in London and I wound up, and this is very strange, but I literally wound up in front of a theater that was putting on a musical of the bodyguard that I had never heard of. Um, <laughs> And so I, you know, I write about that. And then I write about even how long it took me to, because I didn't see it then, because I didn't feel, I didn't feel right. I didn't, it felt like, why does, why does this exist? But it wasn't until probably like five or six years later, when it came, the, the show came to LA and Deborah Cox was the star. And I know Deborah Cox love and respect of Whitney, but also she is one of few singers who legitimately can actually mimic Whitney in such a really powerful way that I'm like, and now I need to go see it. So that, that's, you know, that's probably the most personal that is that so far right now, that is the most personal that I get. I know at some point I need to write about, you know, that weekend yeah, mm -hmm. toward the end, but it's, it really is, you know, me connecting all these dots. I spent a whole chapter on Sissy and on gospel music and, you know, going in Sissy's past, because I think, so much of even how we have talked about Sissy over the years is like, yeah, she does gospel great and she's a stage mom, but like no one really sits with that first part of like, yeah, you're a gospel great, but from what cloth was she cut from? And my gosh, just that alone is like, there was no other choice for Whitney than greatness. You know, you think of her mom and I, you know, you think of her mom, you know, singing on the same bill as Mahalia Jackson at the 57 Newport Jazz Festival, which, you know, people who know gospel know that that is probably one of the most important moments for gospel at a time because it helped um, move it to mainstream. It helped move it from the Chitlin circuit, quote unquote, as we say, to a really mainstream white space. Let's just be really clear. It moved it to a different space. And to see that Sissy was a part of that, I just... That alone, yes, there's so much more, but just that one little piece alone has been so forgotten over time. We just saw, um, I don't know if anybody's been watching, you know, the versus um, matchups, but we just saw, you know, Gladys. Gladys and, and Patty. Patty, yeah. Go toe to toe. But, you know, when it comes to Midnight Train of Georgia, at no point did anybody mention that Sissy did it before. Sissy did it before Gladys. And I think that these moments that have been so lost to time, but also lost to the fact of, yes, when you are the mother of Whitney Houston, like your accomplishments, they be they get minimized. You know what I mean? I hate to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that it just happens. But I think that so much of so much of our relationship with Sissy and just I like, think about her on those Aretha records and on Elvis and you know that 
those connections I wanted to make because I, I wanted this to be really a reassessment of all the things that I believe that we missed the first time around. I think if we had a different relationship with, not I think, I know, if we had a different relationship with the way that we talk about sexuality, with the way that we talk about addiction, with the way that we talk about race, with the way that we talk about celebrity in America, everything would have been so different with Whitney. Every the way that we talked about her, wrote about her, thought about her, celebrated her would all be different. And so some of what we're saying now is a course correction of that, but it's, you know, should, there's no, I, I don't like the fact that Whitney's not here for any of this. I don't like the fact that Whitney's not here in a moment where Janelle Monet can exist and like yes. this door of possibility for, for black queer women everywhere. I don't like the fact that, you know, she's not here to see how far her voice carried pop and R&B. It's not an injustice because ultimately it, she, she's someone who died of her own actions. And that's something that I don't run from, but I do think that when we look at all of the ways in which she was, broken and the way that we contributed to that I ultimately think that yeah it does kind of suck that if maybe we were a little bit nicer if maybe we were a little bit more understanding or maybe we didn't like make bets on her and Bobby or if maybe we didn't like you know yes it was very clear to see that there was this situation with her and you know this other woman and like uh, this obsession that was that happened, you know, in the early '90s over it. It's like we wouldn't do that now. There's no star now that could, that could walk out, and whether or not they want to confirm if they're in a same-sex relationship, you would not see an interviewer that's be like, "Okay, so are you gay or, or not, or what? Are you with somebody? Yeah. So who are you sleeping with? Oh, no one. Oh, okay. So because she was making love songs and she refused to talk about who she was with, that, that added to it, right? That added to the way that she was treated, that added to the anger from press, that added to like the dismissal from critics and also from people at a certain point, they get tired, they got tired of the music, they got tired of these sweet love songs. <laughs> sweet love songs. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I've been thinking about this a lot. How many celebrities in particular we could have that would have been so helped by the opening of our society mm-hmm. uh, with regards to sexuality and gender. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I watched The Last Dance uh, yeah. recently, and yeah. I've been thinking a ton about Dennis Rodman and how, yeah. how if, if, if he, 20 years later, was starting in the NBA, he would be able to be like a gender queer fucking superstar like champion and yeah. champion and, yeah. and, and he wouldn't have had to run to las vegas he would yeah. never he, he he attempted suicide you know what i mean like they talk about he tried to kill himself because he was not free to be who he was and he would overcompensate with all the drugs and the partying and the dating of karma Electra and all this shit like this big facade because we as a society were not ready for all that he was or is you know and it just it breaks my damn heart that this man almost killed himself because we aren't ready for him like oh and I think that you know with Whitney it's like if we had just given her a little more grace and space she Mm -hmm. wouldn't have Mm -hmm. who knows right you know the like addiction is a coping mechanism. It's not like she just was having so much fun that she died. It is such a tragedy of kind of our society that we want what we want from people and we, and we only want them to be how, like oh, how yeah. we see them. We want them oh to fish. Yeah, the second, that, the second that you can't hit that note the same way, it's, we, we dispose of you. I mean, you think about because the book did start with thinking about just maybe the last decade of her life because that also fascinates me too it fascinates me because so much of what she was doing was being a regular person living a quiet life an alpharetta you know with her daughter not really doing this music thing and so there's parts of that that does interest me but i do think more about just that level of like disposing of her because she couldn't hit that note because she still couldn't sing I will always love you 
the way she sang it in, in 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, okay, well, at this point, we don't have anything else that we need from her. And so now it's like, well, you know, let's focus on this marriage that's probably not so great. You know, it just, there was this turn that, that we all did as a society with her because of the fact that she just doesn't quite sound the way that she did it when she sang it the first go round and then sang it every day for four years on tour and now and then shot her voice because she was also smoking cigarettes or whatever. But like just that alone, you know, we saw it a little bit with, you know, Mariah. Mariah's been able to, she's been able to get it back, but it was a long road for Mariah to get that Mm -hmm. back. And Mariah is still having to have this conversation with everybody, which is like, so you know, I write all these songs too. (laughs) Like she's still (laughs) having to say it. She's uh-huh. still having to say it at this point. So, some so much of it is like with this book, I really did just want to celebrate her in a way that I feel is still missing. It's one thing for Kaiga to be like, "Oh, I want to like do a remix and like it's great," and like then we like love Whitney again, or we put Whitney in, you know, love Simon, and it's this nice, fabulous moment, and like all these things are great. But I still think about how. At that same time, you, Kanye still makes the decision of like, I want to spend all this money to get that picture for the National Enquirer to make that the cover of Pusha T's record. And like, I can't even go listen to the album now because even if I enjoy Pusha T's music, I don't, what is it that you're communicating to me by pu- putting the image of the drugged in quote unquote that we all saw, we all remember that moment and we all remember how terrible it was that like her sister-in-law is the one who sold that picture. But like, what does that do for you as an artist to now have that as your album cover? Particularly if you are not going to have any conversation around addiction. You're not gonna yeah. have, you know, what the drugs you sold in the same community, like what 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 you what you think that that might have done or not done. So, you know, it's just stuff like that where I think that there's still these cheap shots that happen. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. not gonna stop. And I don't think that any of us writing anything or us being on a podcast or her going to the, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is gonna change any of that. But I want it for myself. And I knew that, okay, if I think this way and I, and I feel this way, people who are somewhat interested in her might read something and be like, I had no idea. Or I didn't um, know that. Do you know what you're going to call the book yet? The book is called Excel. Oh. Yeah. That's a great name. That's a good title. Yeah. yeah. Um, what would you like to see happen in her Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction? Who are, who's your like dream people? What's your dream? Okay, who are the dream yeah. performers who do the tribute? Mm. How does it build? How does it end? What kind of trio do we have doing harmony at the end? I think, okay, now mm. I'm starting to fantasize. Yeah. Now we're getting into show producing. I love it. I, right. Yeah, I'm like, and, I'm like, it ends with I'm every woman and it's every mm. woman that performed the whole night, maybe. I don't know. I'm just... I'm thinking. There's my, also, my love is your love. There's there's two ways to think about this because sadly we are not going to get a fully oh, produced yes, live full- induction ceremony <laughs> for the right. first time. <laughs> they are, yeah, you're, you're, so like there's a little bit of uh, fantasy producing for what could have been what was supposed I to happen. Just went back in time and was like back in time. Literally, yeah, your mind was erased of everything It'll that has happened like in the past six Beyonce months. Beyonce is out there, and literally, then from the wings, Mariah <laughs> she floats. She's carried in by like six guys. She's doing a mermaid style. Like, uh, uh, oh my god! So the, yeah, this is name. Alicia Keys on the piano. Okay. This is a very different year because they are going to produce some sort of special for HBO, but we don't know what that is going to look like. We have no information about what they're planning on doing. They're not calling it an induction ceremony, but it's going to be something to replace that live event that cannot happen this year. Oh, they're not Mm. calling it an induction ceremony? As far as I understand... But we, we, again, we don't know what's happening. It also feels like the production of, of live things and award shows is evolving as we get deeper into this. Yeah. So, you know, if they had done this five months ago, it would have been a, probably a sad-looking Zoom, Zoom show. <laughs> but now that we've seen, like, with the VMAs and other things, there, there are other possibilities. But we, what we can do is we can break down usually what we see with an induction, like who gives a speech. Oh, right? who do you think is going to be her? Who's going to induct her? Right. So typically there's one person giving a speech at like a podium at the ceremony, but 
potentially with this being like a pre-filmed event, you could cut in between a bunch of different people talking about Whitney and yeah. giving a speech. There, there's a lot of possibility for that. But if Do you th- think they're going to get Beyonce for the? I'm sorry. I'm just like- I know. I mean, I think I, we kind of had thought that the Rock Hall, because Biggie was being inducted this year as well, when they were still planning the live ceremony, that like the dream would be to get Beyonce for Whitney and then Jay-Z for Biggie. Yeah. Seemed appropriate. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be obviously the dream. That would be incredible. I would love, there has to be some representation of Brandy and Monica. I just mm-hmm. think that the way that Aretha had tapped Jennifer Hudson as like her protege for eternity. I think, you know, that, that is, that is, those are, those are the two that, you know, Whitney has herself christened. Um, But I also think that, you know, with Whitney, you've got to have that moment of a C.C. Winans or a Kimberrell, you've got to have a little bit of a gospel Gospel. element um, to her as well, because that's so much of what, her core was and when we're thinking about people close to her cc Winans is probably um for sure it would be my top picks but i also you know producing rock call and you are probably thinking of like who is everybody watching yeah. going to know on hbo because that's mm-hmm. what is also yeah too um i think that gets lost so i i think that you have to if it's not beyonce i don't I don't see them being like, yeah, we're going to call Brandy. I mean, I don't think HBO, I mean, now HBO might, they might have that energy now after seeing what the numbers well, the versus, versus, yeah. yeah. I mean, Brandy yeah. and Monica are hot for like the first time <laughs> they, in a they, while. They, they, they are really very, are. very, very hot. So I think that, you know, even just that element, because we all remember like what was supposed to happen at that Clive Davis thing was Brandy and Monica was supposed to perform for Whitney. And so Wait, what is this? Tell I'm, so, I don't know. This. It's why so she was in the, Los Angeles. Yeah, so she was she was there for so the Clive Gala that year. Yeah, Brandy and Monica they were going to do Boys Mind because obviously it's their it's their classic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this was, was the pre Grammys. The pre the pre Grammy like that Clive Davis does every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, and so you know it just that that moment of you know seeing her two her two girls you know just I'll just say it that way. I think would have been really, really great. But I mean, you know, as much as much fantasy as there is, I like to sit in the reality of like, whoever Clive tells HBO is going to do it is what is going to be. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. still, the, I mean, we haven't, we can't get away from, and this is not at all to, I mean, I like Clive. I don't want to say that I don't like Clive. Mm-hmm. I like Clive. Um, <laughs> Let but I'm not, I'm not at all, I, I, I don't hold any sort of, um, disillusion to the fact that like regardless it's going to be Clive making the decision mm-hmm. it's going to be so I think you'll end up we'll end up with Jennifer Hudson not that's what I want but we'll end up with Jennifer Hudson because Jennifer Hudson is the approved voice for America and people who understand Whitney that's the closest thing that like you can sell it to the producers and like it'll be great but I don't think it, it won't have that personal connection mm-hmm. well but there can be so here's the thing it can be the person who inducts you know so it's like who would induct who gives and a then, speech and who performs like who gives the speech and who performs and Could so be separate you can have multiple performances you have multiple performances yeah and this you is a get... year where that's that's a distinct possibility without it being a logistical nightmare true true so yeah i mean my my dream moment is beyonce giving a speech Brandy, Monica, you know, CeCe Winings given given us a couple moments, possibly. Okay. Couple. What would songs would you have them do? Oh, I mean, I don't want to go the obvious route. I don't really need anybody trying to do I Will Always Love You. I just don't. But I would have somebody come give us You Give the Love. Saving All My Love For You. Saving All um, My Love For You would be a great, like, starter. You know, like, you begin yeah. with sa- saving, like, you know, the appetizer is Saving All My Love For You. Yeah. 
what they really like to do too with these things is they like to mix. God, I really do have opinions now. <laughs> how far you've come. It's so, so dumb. But what they like to do is they like to get some really like classic people, people who've been around a while. I, I think that we could see a CeCe Winans appearance, but I don't think she would get her own song. I think no. she'd come out and they would be, and the audience, if this was a real show, they'd be like, Whoa! she'd come out at a certain time when she would get featured. But they like to start with some class. They, they usually in these tributes go maybe this is just in my dreams, but they usually go from the beginning to the big hit. So it's like you start, you pay homage to all the aspects of their career, and then you end with something that is either their biggest hit or something that everybody can sing on. Like I Want to Dance with Somebody would yeah. likely be the climax. Yeah. yeah, and that's a good climax, you know? Oh yes, that's a floor that. filler. That's an undeniable song. Actually, I'm glad that they're not going to cut to the audience of fucking white people grooving to I want to dance with somebody, though. Well, I got to be honest. Know they will know it. So <laughs> that is true. They would at every, least every, know every, that one. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. It's true. And I, I don't know if they're going to have some sort of acceptance of the award. I know they would, if it were a live ceremony, they would probably have uh, Sissy there. But I don't know if they're going to do that given just what this ceremony is going to be. Maybe right. there'll be some, some words. And then I guess the question is, you know, Whitney Houston is inducted. Now who's next? Like what does this open the door for future inductions, whether you're going forward or where you're going backwards? Well, do you think fucking Chaka Khan will finally get in? Maybe. And Chaka you, could be a part of the, I mean, that would be, be a part. good way to have her be a part of the induction ceremony have it be a part have her perform to really i mean because as we know the nominating committee puts her on the ballot every year and then it doesn't seem to work and it's maybe greasing the wheels a little bit to try and put her front and center but yeah, um, yeah. you seem dubious no, <laughs> garrick think... is like i don't think no, so listen, listen because i'm very much i'm very much of the school of thought if i'm shaka or i'm like y'all keep doing this to me i don't want to come sing at your funky ass event i'm okay <laughs> i love whitney and she knows i love her but don't disrespect me by having me come here to do the song that she covered of mine i mean it just because mm -hmm. that's what they're gonna ask and i just don't think that that is like even appropriate but like yeah yeah, I mean, have her do this. If you if you want to have Shaka involved, I would ask her to give the speech. I would ask, you know, one of the two to talk at some point. I wouldn't be asking her to come up there and sing, though, because I just think that's a level of disrespect that Shaka does not deserve. Mm -hmm. Oh, and yet the hall is so disrespectful. Oh, yeah. The hall <laughs> is sent, very the email disrespectful. has been sent. Yes. What do you think about leading <laughs> I'm Every Woman for the climate? Mm -hmm. I just, yeah. I We've got I a great pitch for you. We've got a great pitch for you. It's a great opportunity. You're gonna love it because, like, you'll be, you know, you'll you'll really be the queen of the performance. But we're we've reached out to like Ariana and Christina Aguilera. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what that's what we're kind of hoping for. Is this something that you think that maybe you want to do, <laughs> Chaka? Also, it will rob Shaka of when she finally does get inducted of her fucking song. Like, we'll have done it already. It's why she should be being inducted this year as well. It, they have a lot of explaining to do. In my yeah. opinion, they have a lot of explaining to do. Because, yeah, it does. It robs Shaka of her own moment for her own damn song. And it, oh, yeah, that is, I, you know, I had not even, I had not assessed the shadiness of that situation. It's shady. And that's on me. It is shady. It's shady. Uh -huh. I did not, I did not like that. I don't like that. Okay. Oh, but and yet they'll ask and I wonder it's because no, you know it's like kind of one of those what else are you doing kind of moments yeah. we're in a pandemic mm -hmm. you're not yeah. on tour you're not yeah. out there and that could open the doors to interesting appearances in this entire induction special well People one appearance I don't want is I don't want the hologram to show up <laughs> I don't want yeah. it I don't want it I don't want to. I don't want a hologram of no one. I no have. One. Yeah, we need no, to stop that. We need to find a way to shut down the technology. No holograms. No, 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 no. 
know how and it, great. I think also with it being a pre-filmed thing with our version of hologram is used to show a, a film. Just show <laughs> just show a clip. Yeah. Yeah, show a clip. That's what mm. a, a pre-filmed hologram is. Oh yeah, it's God. you know, I wonder in in years to come if they will try to go back i mean something they should have been doing already like dion warwick is not in and has never been nominated mm. and there is you know steps along the way to whitney that have been leaped leaped and you know Sam and patty lavelle too oh my gosh okay here we go i have a fantasy it goes like this they do the whitney back timeline we start at Whitney and then they, they go back in time all the people that they've left out of rock history you know all the people that like brought us to Whitney they just like reverse a tributary they do it through song and then at the are you end, describing what are you describing <laughs> are you describing what will happen to the special or what will what they'll induct in the coming years I was hoping this would be the special and then at the end they say and next year, we're just going to induct all these people without and all a ballot. Or, <laughs> or they just put them all in. Up. I don't know. I've been trying to think about how to get some reparations to the hall. And I just, I don't know how they, they, they have so far to go. They have fucked up in such major ways. They ha there's such insane oversight. They have to do a bunch of shit to even yeah. not even make it right but like but like start to it, get the imbalance back yeah, towards to like equality tilt the scale even just an ounce you'd have to do my plan which is all black half female ballot next year everybody gets in 30 people full stop no no nominations everybody's in that's Everybody. just, and you'll do that for like the next five years, <laughs> but with different balancing in mind. And then you just like put a moratorium on white guys for a few years until we can get things right. Yeah, let's let's I revisit let's revisit this theory next year when the Foo Fighters get in. Uh, <laughs> <It's> so true. <laughs> but going forward, I think my guess would be now that Whitney's in, then like Mariah is the next up. Yeah. And is her is her songwriters hall of fame? Oh yeah, Mariah is yeah. in songwriters hall of fame. She yeah. is. Yeah, Mariah would be great. Mary J. Mary J. Mary J. Oh yeah. Mary J. Seem like the next the next ones to. When yeah, is Beyonce I mean, they really they really gotta break that door open for the wave of R and B post Janet after just right after New Jack like right at the beginning of that because you know I think about like gosh 90 91 92 yeah there's a lot there's a lot that should start being in the conversation but I'm actually still stuck on Shaka right now which then makes me <laughs> which then makes me realize that like all these other names y'all just not getting in you still like put Sh you still put Shaka in there yeah you the backlog is so jammed up the that, backlog like... is absurd you can't even begin to talk about like Brandy or Monica. Like that's so. Because we're just now getting Biggie. You know what I mean? I'm just some like some of this. I'm like, well, we have a long but way to go. Biggie's this was his first year eligible. First year eligible. Yeah. So yeah. When is when is Bay? Uh, when is Beyonce eligible? She probably won't be eligible for another ten years. Um, as a solo. Yeah, as a solo artist. Doesn't have to be like the first time that you. Possibly oh yeah, they'll put Destiny in though. I don't. I don't know about no, that. Won't. They have to. No, they They'll won't. put in Beyonce solo. They'll put in girls' time. They'll put in. <laughs> <laughs> They'll put in Beyonce. But They'll so, put in <laughs> so her years in Destiny's Child doesn't count toward her eligibility. No, because that would be Destiny's Child's eligibility. Right, right, right. And right, so right. you know her. I was just trying to find some little loophole. You know, she's saying. Yeah. Loophole. I'm like, put I her in. That, <laughs> I just thought that that would count for something. Uh, well, hey, guys, Whitney Houston <laughs> is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, That's true. Ten years too late, but it's a very, very cool thing. And that ceremony will be in, when is it, November? Uh, so we will see what happens with that. Uh, Garrick, yeah. thank you so much, Garrick, for being, yeah, for being here and, and doing this. This is our first Zoom with a guest. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm honored. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Is uh, I know you've you've got the book coming out at some point, but we won't press you to put put any sort of timeline. But is there anything you want to plug, uh, whether it's your social media or whatever? Have at it. 
Yeah, I am at Garrett Kennedy on Twitter and Instagram, and you can go follow my work at GarrettKennedy.net if you care to go see some clips as they come, some old stuff. But, you know, right now my whole life is, is, is Whitney. It's a great life. Not a bad yeah. life. Yeah, not a, not a bad way to be. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rockhallpod. You can email us rockhallpod at gmail.com. Leave us a nice review, five stars only on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo, Yusuke Kim for the music, and thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Stetter. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.